your Bibles and you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Reading from the NIV, Jesus is teaching on prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The the door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I'll tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Over these last several weeks, we have been looking at values, things that we hold important as a church. We've said that it is the very fabric of who we are. It is is our DNA. It's not things that we invented or we, we created. We, we didn't have some consultant come in and say this would look good on a website or on a mission statement. We didn't do that. This is just simply who we are and who we have been from the very, very beginning. When this church was just a few folks meeting around a coffee table in a living room. So we've spent several weeks looking at this and, and we've talked about hospitality. That hospitality is at the very heart of God. What is grace and graciousness but hospitality? What are Jesus' words to everyone, including us? Y'all come in the southern vernacular, in the southern translation. Come. We talked about community. Not community for community's sake. That's self-absorption. That leads to exclusion. That leads to us versus them. There's no them. It's just us. It's just us. Some of us are maybe a little further along. Some of us have learned because of evangelism the next week that we are simply beggars looking for food and we have found the source of food. So evangelism is then one beggar telling other beggars where the food is. No us and them, just us. Then last week we looked at discipleship. That transition and that movement from being a follower or a believer in Jesus into learning how, being pressed into, and becoming a disciple of Jesus. 
that a disciple remains, that a disciple obeys, a disciple bears fruit, and a disciple glorifies holy God. So we come to the last. We value so many things, but for argument's sake, we come to the last today. To prayer. To prayer. I'd love for you just to take a minute and take a look, if we can, at this here on the screen. Prayer, God's choice method for the development of intimacy. It's an opportunity for a soul deprived of oxygen to breathe. It's our dependence displayed. It's imitating Jesus and behaving like we believe him. A demonstration of our faith. It's outpour and intake. It's crying out and finally being heard. It's evaluation. And should occasionally be joined by tears and often associated with revelation. Prayer, a place made for request and confession. Soap and water for the spirit, a place of cleansing, a place meant for bending and breaking and reshaping. It's consciousness refined, a place where our perception is challenged by God's design. His intent exclaimed through the halls of our spirit and brain. Enter with an issue, exit with the choice. Prayer is listening to your inner voice as it spills its guts to the living God. It's what the disciples asked to be taught. It's privileged information, hydration for dry bones. It's an escape for the weary and those fortunate to be less fortunate. I'd even go as far as to say that we are blessed with a disease if because of it we are forced to our knees. Kneeling at the door of prayer. A door meant both for receiving and releasing. And there's no sign of a sign that says no loitering allowed. In fact, it's encouraged, recommended, suggested for the whole and the shattered. Because this matters. So in closing, I'd like to... uh... Loitering is not only allowed, it's encouraged. That's beautiful. Want to look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 5 through 10. We're going to kind of look at Exodus and look at Luke, what we read just a second ago. But Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 5 through 10. Again, reading from the NIV, Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And then verse 5, do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place 
where you are standing is holy ground. And I want to suggest to us this morning that whenever we approach a holy God in prayer, the place in which you are standing is holy ground. It is the place of being. Connecting. It is safe. Because we are communicating with the creator of the universe. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at holy God, the other. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Rescue. These are the words of Bill Gates. That Bill Gates. In terms of allocation of time resources... Religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. For the postmodern person, and really that's all of us, we're all living in a postmodern age. To the postmodern person, spirituality is a time challenging adventure. Even to the point of it being, to some, quote-unquote, not worth my time. We are a culture with strong faith in technology and immediacy. We get irritated, upset, and entitled when our internet isn't fast enough. And as the comedian says, give it a second. It's going to space. And coming back. Give it a second. So as a result, we we don't often have patience to wait on God. We're, We're uncomfortable with stillness and with silence. And with the lack of things moving. Don't raise your hand. But raise your hand if on Woolly Worm Weekend you will drive to Newland. If you want to go to the other side of Boone. From Banner Elk. Because movement is certainly better than sitting in line and traffic. As a result of this, our, God's response to our prayers may seem challenged. They, they, they seem perhaps even non-existent. We are a culture focused on efficiency, profitability, instant gratification. And that sometimes, let's be honest, pretty much all the time goes 
juxtaposed to holy God. Who is often a God of slow and a God of long and anything but immediate. Yet the scripture tells of a covenant God with a covenant people. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. And although the covenant came through one person, Abraham, it was a covenant for all human descendants. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Not great for gratefulness' sake. That is self-absorption. And oh, are we not self-absorbed. But great so that we will be a blessing. By, by sheer definition, that means looking from within and looking out. Although the covenant came through one person, Abraham, it was a covenant for all human descendants. See, the biblical pattern is that God works through individuals for the benefit of all people. A-L-L, capitalized, underlined, bold, italics, highlighted, whatever. No wiggle room. Not for those whom we deem important enough to receive it, but for all. That's the gospel, not my words. All. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, making your name great so that you will be a blessing. You see, God's blessings to the whole usually come at the price for the one that's called. Moses, for example, was content tending his flock when, when God called. I observed the misery of my people who are in, in Egypt, and I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's Exodus 3, verses 7, verses 10 we read earlier. After 400 years of frustration, God's intervention must have been this amazing, joyous occasion for Israel. 400 years. Longer than we've been a country. We're not even teenagers yet. We're still toddlers. But their complaints for the next 40 years wandering in the desert are clearly recorded in Scripture and, and during the Babylonian exile. And the God of the New Testament would, would also seem to be time-challenged. Jesus' disciples spent 50 days behind closed doors for the fear of their lives until God responded to the prayers with the gift of the Holy Spirit who would pray with words and audible, with groans. And to this day, we, we the church also await a promised second coming of Jesus the Christ, don't we? And often our prayer is, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Especially when we see heartache and we see pain of those around us, those whom we love. Lord, come quickly. Whereas the biblical story is about waiting on for and on God, it is also about our inability to discern God's presence. Elijah was looking for God in dramatic events of wind, earthquake, and fire. And he discovered God where? In the stillness. In silence. 
I was 10 years old at a Baptist church in Austin, Texas, where I heard the Sunday school teacher say, the three biggest tools that the devil has is hurry, worry, and noise. Because if you're in a hurry, you don't have time for them. If you worry, you don't trust them. If there's too much noise in your life, well, you can't hear them. The silence. The long, dramatic pauses of life. Jesus wept over a city because its people were, were unable to recognize the time of, of God's visitation and, and seemed angry with Philip almost when he asked Jesus to show him, have I, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's John chapter 14, verse 9. So let's, let's think about this for a second, all of this coming together. Could it be the power of the covenant-making God comes in and through community? Through us. Prayer is and should be a personal communion with God. That's fact. That's true. But we've also said that our relationship with the Holy God, our relationship with Jesus, while very, very personal, is never meant to be private. We grow and we are placed in a community of believers. So prayer then is also a common experience to us. It's, it's the community of Benaral Christian Fellowship. It is, it's an experience of communion with other people. Prayer is something we value. It's part of our DNA. It's what we do. It's who we are. And it, it's been a part of that DNA from the very, very beginning. But if a Hebrew word for prayer, avoda, means to be of service, that's what it means. And to work or take action for higher purpose, then prayer has a social component to it. Not just some deeply personal thing. There is part of that that impacts the community around us. When we pray to invite God to change our environment, our circumstances, our experience, we also must be ready to be changed by that prayer. But so many times my prayers are to do something out here. It's far scarier for me to pray to, for God to do something in here. And in here. Community. You see, it's often the case that prayer does not change our circumstances. At least it seems. But certainly changes us. Abraham, Moses, Jesus, each delivered or discovered that in relationship with the divine, holy God, that prayer is not some passive experience. It's not something we do when all else fails. When all else fails, read the instructions, right? <laughs> prayer moves us to a higher purpose. In some ways, there are similarities between today's younger generations, the, the, the millennials and the, the homelanders and, and all those others, the, the, the postmodern church and, and those entering adulthood in the politically charged 50s, 60s, 70s, or excuse me, 60s and 70s. Many were and still are skeptical that a relationship with God would, would bring about racial equality, eliminate poverty, and bring world peace. 
the socially active baby boomers wanted to change the world and they were impatient waiting on a holy God to do it. Our covenant God is a God of change. And the covenant people are called to be agents of that change. This is not a spectator sport. This is get in, roll your sleeves up, and join in. Our covenant God is a God of change. And we are the agents of that change. Abraham, Moses, and ultimately our Lord Jesus were, were change agents, instruments within the, co- the covenant community for God to heal the world. We all live with the tension spirituality between self-care and social responsibility. We all live in that, that, that tension. Self-care, social responsibility. Both important, both vying for our time. Our attention. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Parker Palmer argues that self-care is actually never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship to discover and nurture the gifts God has given us to fulfill our social responsibility. Whereas fulfilling one's role in God's healing of the world can be satisfying when we are praying and we are part of a praying community and we are part of a community where we are seeing change, it is incredibly satisfying, but it can also be incredibly agonizing. Parker Palmer's agony came in the form of depression. Massive, major depression. Agonizing. But Palmer's discovery during his depression is interesting. He writes and observed that that he often thought of his depression as the hand of an enemy trying to crush him. But then at some point, something changed. Not his circumstances. But something changed. and, and, And he said that he started to see this as almost the hand of a friend pressing him down on the ground on which it is safe to speak, safe to stand. Our personal struggles may may offer a way of reconnecting us with Jesus. It is the ground of our being. It is why when we are connecting with a holy God that the ground that I am standing on is holy. It's a safe place when I am in communication with God. When I am in prayer, it is a safe place, even in the midst of chaos around us. The ground of being. God is a ground, is, is this Amazing image of, of renewal, of safety as we gain strength, as we, as we re- re-enter into the arena of wherever it may be, of family, of career, of school, of friendships, relationships. It's, it's a safe place. 
as we leave our prayer closet for the workplace, for, for the broken relationships in our lives, for the neighbor who is, who is unkind, for the child who is running and kicking against the goads, trying to prove everything wrong, instead of listening to story and the gospel. For the crosses that we must all bear, that space, that moment, that time is holy. Jesus' prayer for, at the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, was Jesus' grounding himself to give him strength to face the cross. Mine and perhaps all of our most frequent prayers are to seek God's intervention. But when I only pray in this way, I, 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 I come away from this intercessory prayer wondering why maybe God hasn't responded. I get impatient. Perhaps I'm unable to discern God's response. Because he is holy God and I am not. Yet our, our biblical history assures us that God is faithful to us, the covenant community. He's faithful. He is trustworthy. We may enter prayer hoping for personal healing and discover that the real power in prayer is in community and that there are people joined with us, whether we realize it or not, who are praying with us, for us. Maybe that's it. Or at least part of it. Prayer is this activity of personal reflection that ultimately connects us with Jesus and with other people. It's, it's this activity that calls us beyond ourselves to, to a higher purpose. Whereas my vision, our, our human knowledge is, is often lacking foresight, certainly creativity, certainly intellectual grounding, and, and, and it's certainly time-constrained. God's vision doesn't lack anything. There's no limits. It's always seeking the good of God's creation. And our prayer life reconnects us with that. We plug back in. For real plugging in. It reconnects us with our ground of being and it calls us into community and toward the larger vision to bring about and to live out and to be a people living out the gospel of Jesus to the world. Prayer. It matters. Amen.